Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Ah, we got a lot to do this morning. We already done a lot. Pretty exciting about the committee. I'm really happy to see the pastoral search committee come together. I think they're going to do a great job, and just need to be praying that that God directs our path. I'm sure He will. Like like John was saying, that He already knows who's headed our way. So hopefully he gets prepared for us and we get prepared for him. And those of you who have like marriageable age kids, this is like how you pray for your kids and their spouse to be. That's how I found myself praying for our new pastor. It's like, Lord, bring us the right one. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. And I'm going to do just a really short recap of where we were last week in Philippians 4, uh, 7, and 8. And uh, we're going to set the context by reading the first nine verses again. And then we're going to spend almost all of our time today just on verse 8. There's, uh, there's no way we can do justice to verse 8 and verse 9 in one session. We'll talk a little bit about verse 9, but as you'll see, it's going to get uh, a little short shrift. But verse 8 is packed, so got lots to do. Let's start with reading Philippians 4 verses 1, 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. A lot here. So last week we talked about a variety of things. I'm just going to highlight them briefly. We saw Paul addressing the subject of peace in the church. He was concerned about peace in the church. There was a conflict between Yodia and Syntyche. We don't know what it was about, but it was big enough that whatever it was, it was causing some disruption in the church. And so he addresses it publicly. Um, must have been a bit of a shock for them, I think, to hear their names called out like that. But he loves them. They're true believers. He calls them fellow workers. He esteems them very highly, and he asks his true companion, whose identity we don't know, to help them out because peace in the church is really important. He goes on then to talk about 
gentleness or moderation or reasonableness. He says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. And it's such a great word. Uh, one commentator, like I said last week, uh, likes the translation sweet reasonableness. And that this is, this is the thing that he wants to characterize them and their dealings with one another. He wants other people to look at them and say, wow, those guys are sweetly reasonable. It's so important. I hope that this quality will pervade our church. Regardless of what may be happening in other churches or in other communities, regardless of what people one way or another about whatever, I hope that our sweet reasonableness will be something that characterizes us and that people comment about. That's how we're going to have peace in the body, and that's our testimony to the community trying to reach for Jesus. So let's all put our, put our energy into that. Paul has addressed peace in the body. Now he goes on to talk about peace in individual believers. And he says that rather than being anxious, we should meet God in prayer. We should make our supplication with thanksgiving. And if we do this, we'll experience the peace of God, a peace that is kind of crazy, that sort of passes understanding, that doesn't really make sense under our circumstances, and that this kind of peace will guard our hearts and our minds which is pretty cool. I, I would not like to have an unguarded heart or mind that would feel kind of naked and vulnerable. But this peace is the thing that protects us, and we're going to talk more today about how that works. We talked about how Paul uses two different words for prayer, a general term, pray about everything, with all prayer, and everything by prayer. But he also uses the specific term supplication. And this was really my big takeaway from the study this last couple of weeks was just the idea that it's not just about don't be anxious, make your requests, and which is kind of how I've read this historically. And it's, it's not hard to read that way if you miss this piece. But he uses the two different words for prayer, and I think that first word is the general word for prayer. So it's all kinds of prayer. It's silence before God. It's meditation. It's bringing your requests. It's worship. It's all of those things. It's our relationship Jesus. So in the context of that relationship with Jesus, make your requests. And that's his recipe for peace. Keeping company with God is a phrase that I stole from Philip Yancey's book on prayer. And I'm going to plug it again. The book is by Philip Yancey. It's called Prayer Doesn't Make a Difference. Really great book. Our, our home group's working through it. It's been very rich, and uh, we've got still quite a ways to go, actually. <laughs> been working on it for about a year, but there's no end to the good stuff. Yancey says that he thinks of prayer as keeping company with God, which is a lot more than simply making requests. It's really about our experience of him. And this peace that we experience according to Paul, is beyond what makes sense. It protects our hearts and our minds. So this theme of peace is going to continue now in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, anything that's worthy of praise, 
think about these things. Learned and what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So we have what should we be thinking about? And we have how should we be behaving? Okay? Pretty good. Pretty simple game plan. Last week we focused on how we should pray. Now let's take a look at how we should think. We get this list of what we should think about. And the word here for think about in the Greek is a what's called a present imperative. And so the flavor of this in the, in the Greek grammar is it's a command. But it's a command to, for something that is ongoing. So Paul might say in today's language, I really want you to think about this stuff, and I want you to keep on thinking about this stuff. Don't stop thinking about this stuff. Okay? There's a, a kind of urgency to it. Now, our minds are the origination point for our, our emotions and our behavior. What you think about determines how you feel about things, and it also determines what kinds of choices you're going to make, what kinds of things you're going to do. And it makes it all the more important that we have the right things going on in our heads. So Paul gives us a list, and we'll start at the top and work our way through. First off, whatever is true. It's an interesting word. It, what it literally means is unconcealed, stuff that is not hidden. It's, it's out there. You can see it. And it, by, by extension, it kind of means things that are worthy of credit or truthful. Notice that Paul did not say, think about whatever things are positive, or whatever things are nice and fluffy. Paul was a realist. He wrote about persecution. He wrote about his thorn in the flesh. He wrote about problems with false teachers. Uh, he was not afraid to call a spade a spade, and he was not afraid to acknowledge that life is not easy. I mean, this is the guy who had been through that incredible list of things that we've talked about in Second Corinthians where he's been snake bit and shipwrecked and beaten up and left for dead and all kinds of things. This guy had been through the ringer. He's not afraid to acknowledge those things and be honest about them. Our peace, the peace of God that's talked about in the scripture, is not a peace that is based on denial. This is not a peace that requires you to somehow forget what you're going through in life. It's not a peace that requires you to deny that what you're experiencing is difficult or confusing or frustrating or all of the above. What makes this peace a peace that passes understanding is that it's a peace that we experience in the middle of everything else that is true about our lives. And that's shocking. That's it's startling. Don't expect to feel peaceful when, when the wheels are coming off. God does not expect us to deny what's real in order to experience his peace. In the Psalms, you see good examples of this. Uh, some of the Psalms of lament start off by uh, you know, expressing all kinds of emotions about where, where is God? How long are you, have you are going to forget me? Uh, when are you going to do something about my circumstances? This just goes on and on and on. But often in the second half of these Psalms, you see a shift in focus, and there's this reaffirmation of the things that 
we know about God and the things that actually inspire hope. So a great example of this is found in Psalm 62, uh, verses 5 through 8. This is a beautiful song that you'll see this refrain repeated in the course of the psalm. It's gorgeous. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. So he's telling himself what to, how to think. He's telling himself what to focus on. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. He's got some kind of thing going on. I don't know what was going on. But he counsels himself. Talks to himself. Says, focus here. Whatsoever things are true. This focus is a particular interest, I, I think, in our time, in our culture. Uh, for some years now, there's been a lot of debate from different points of view about, well, about a lot of things, about nearly everything, it seems like. And one of the things that we hear most often is that information from this source or that source is not credible, it's fake, it shouldn't be paid attention to, it's not really true. You hear that all the time, and you hear it from all kinds of places. And I think this has left a lot of people feeling hopeless that we can ever really know very much about what's true, about very much about anything. Fortunately for us as believers in the church, we have a different place from which to work have truth that we have been delivered from God about God, about us, about our world, about our future. We live in a world that's created by an intelligent and caring God. We have been rescued from alienation from this God by the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. These things are true. We know these things. We've been delivered this truth that has resonated in your heart's by the Holy Spirit. We're saved through grace, by grace through faith. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us, and we are living temples of God. This is the truth. This is the stuff that sustains us. This is the stuff that's beyond. We don't need to fact check this. We have God's word to affirm this to us. There's so many truths that we hold dear that have been affirmed throughout the ages by people who have followed Jesus. And some of these truths have been brought together in creeds, like the Nicene Creed. And these have been read in the church as a way of bringing the people together and affirming collectively, yes, this is what we believe. This is what we hold true. I would like to read the Nicene Creed with you this morning. Um, and I would like you all to stand with me uh, while we do this. Now, just for all of those of you who have enough of a, that Baptist gene, uh, I can't remember which chromosome that's on, but it, 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 those of you who have that, don't freak out about the word Catholic, which is in here. It's Catholic with a lowercase c, and it simply means universal. We're not 
trying to affirm a different uh, denomination here this morning. So let us, let us, uh, let's read together. I know this is a little awkward because the cadence of reading is always off, and so you're always going to find yourself saying something a little bit slower or faster than somebody else, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to get through it together. And th- when you do this, think about the fact that churches throughout hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have stood and recited these words. So we have a, a unity with those believers. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. Okay, I got that. So let me finish reading the Nicene Creed for us this morning. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this together. Some of you remember this. You know, you know it. And, and this is a, a version that I think was uh, uh, agreed upon by uh, a council like in the 1970s. I thought it would be actually work pretty well, but it's clashing with some of your memories. It actually clashes with some of mine, too. I have to really concentrate to read this. Oh, do we have it? But it's a different version. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, Nicene is what, we, what we're going for here. That's okay. Let me finish reading the Nicene Creed for us. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Seated. Now, any line of that creed, Nicene or Apostles, by the way, is worth a day's meditation. This is the big picture of what we believe as as Christians. This is the thing that unifies us as believers. 
These are the truths that become our anchor, the things that help us remain steady and experience God's peace in the midst of trouble. Whatsoever things are true, these things we have as true. So focus on those things. And like I said, it's a, it's a present imperative. Focus on these things and keep focusing on these things. One of the things I did this last week, I'll just share this briefly with you, was in getting ready for the sermon, I took each one of these categories of what Paul says, whatsoever things are, and I made that my meditation for the day. And it was, it was part sermon prep, and it was part kind of an experiment to see what it was like to just keep coming back to what the, those things were during the course of the day. And, and it was really helpful. It was helpful in a variety of ways. Um, more to come. More to come on that a little later. I'll save that. Whatever is honorable, distinguished, venerable, reverend, to be venerated for character, the word here denotes gravity or dignified seriousness. Who do you know? What co- who comes to mind when you Think of dignified seriousness. I can think of a couple of people, and and uh, the one that, that that really jumps out at me right off the bat was Martin Lloyd Jones. I've listened to a lot of his sermons, and at least while he's preaching, he is both of those things to a T. He's always dignified. He's always serious about the Word of God. He's not the sort of guy that you feel like you would, would ever like crack a bad joke in front of, you know. It's it's just it's 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 it can leave me speechless just like this. I can tell you that when I hear him preaching, and sometimes I do in my head hear him preaching to me, it's it's a good place for my head to be. It's an honorable thing. He's an honorable man. He's long gone now, but he's somebody who served the Lord faithfully and well, and so. It's an inspiration, somebody worthy of thinking about. You guys know the story of uh, of Frederick, uh, sorry, William Wilberforce. I always want to say Frederick Douglass, but William Wilberforce, uh, seen the movie Amazing Grace? Anybody? A few? Oh, my goodness. Those of you who haven't seen this, it's a fantastic movie and uh, tells the story of his uh, fight in England uh, for the abolition of slavery. And the man was... Boy, staunch, dedicated, devoted, he persevered in the midst of hardship because of what he believed. And it's things like this that I think, that's honorable. Self-sacrifice, devotion, loyalty, steadfastness. These things are honorable. And we have living, breathing examples as well as examples from history of people who are like this. Obviously, these things are most clearly and perfectly exemplified in the life of Jesus. But we get glimmers, don't we, of those, those characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God, when we look around at one another, at least on our good days, and when we look at people like this. Whatever is honorable, think about this. Whatever is just, this, this word means upright or righteous or virtuous. It is the word 
that is used to describe God and his judgments. It is also the word that is used to describe you and me after we have believed in Christ and we have been justified by faith. We are declared righteous. We are declared just. Romans 3.26 says that God is both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He is just, and he has made us just. A little bit later in Romans 5, 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does it do for you to think about having been declared just before God? What does, it, what does it do for your Monday morning when you think about the fact that you have peace with God? You are not at enmity with God. He has reconciled you to himself. And that's just. It's just because Jesus died for our sins and paid for the penalty. It would not be just if he had not done that. It might have been merciful, but it wouldn't have been just. But God is just. There was a penalty for sin that had to be paid. Jesus paid it. He is just, but then we become declared righteous. We are justified. Wow. I, I, I thought about that for a whole day. It was pretty cool. I, 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 you know, we lose touch with these spiritual realities because we're so tied into our physical world and the things that we have to do every day. But these are the things that anchor our souls. These are the things that give us peace in the midst of whatever circumstances we're in. Whatever is pure, pure from every fault, immaculate, uncontaminated, undefiled, God is pure, and his invisible attributes are seen in the things that he has made. So we get glimpses, even in this fallen world, of purity. I think about water coming off of a glacier. You'll never see water that's any clearer than, than that kind of water. Got to get up there a bit, but that's half the fun. Sunlight filtering through a windswept sandy beach, powdered snow that nothing has touched yet. Get these images through the things that have been made, and they speak to us if we let them about purity, about God's purity. What God has declared pure is pure, enjoying the good gifts of creation, the things that he has given us, the capacity to enjoy, is a pure experience that's blessed by God simple a thing as a well-baked loaf of bread or some other thing, which segues right into whatever is lovely. But this is interesting. It's the only time this word is used in, in the New Testament, so it's really hard to cross-reference this and get a feel, a broader feel for how the word is used. Acceptable, pleasing, these are the things that most translators do with it. Again, we have many things, even in this fallen world, that speak to us uh, of loveliness, of beauty. 
And these things express some of the beauty of God. I, every, almost every time I preach, when I'm on my way driving to church, I'm singing a song. And almost every time, it's one of the songs Dylan has picked for us to sing in worship. I, I, I don't know. I think that's just God's way of saying, chill out, relax, I got this. I've, I've planned the whole thing, don't worry. But you're beautiful beyond description. I was singing that on my way to church this morning. I never sing that song, really ever, but it was right there, and Dylan had it right there. So, way to go, bro. A work of art, a musical composition, the experience of nature. We have so many ways that the beauty of God gets communicated to us if we see it, if we pay attention to it. If we're not just saying, wow, great mountains today, but we're actually connecting the dots and saying, I know who made that, and he's amazing. And this is just a faint glimmer, a temporal, tangible glimmer of what he is like. Wow. I meditate on that for all day, too. If you want to get your brain full of this stuff, hang on to it and make a plan like what I had going on this week. I was doing it because I had to be up here and I didn't want to sound foolish, but you could do it simply for the, the, the beauty and the, the usefulness of doing it. In fact, I, I would encourage you to do so. Whatsoever things are of good report is fairly self-explanatory. What, what's good enough that you would tell a friend? What's good enough that you would pick up the phone and say, you can't believe this. This is the greatest thing ever. Think about those things. Think about those things. I, I, I still haven't bought Dan Olson a cigar. I'm going to buy you a cigar, Dan. He had a birth of a grandchild here, what, 10 days ago, something like that? Two weeks ago. Yay. Man, that's a thing of good report. Cuban or, or Central American? And anything will do. Okay, very good. <laughs> Candied cigar, roger that. Whatever things are good report, think about those things, dwell on those things, let them resonate in your mind. And now Paul goes to a couple of general terms. He's going to broaden things out and I think summarize a little bit. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Reckon them. Count them. Decide to think about them. Conclude that this is what I want to be focused on. Some of your translations may say meditate. Some may say fix your mind. I like those terms because I think they carry some of the emphasis of that uh, present imperative. To do what Paul is suggesting means that we have to be intentional about our thinking. And I don't know how you are with your brain, but with me and my brain and most of the people that I've talked to, they don't have to be intentional for their brain to think. Their brain just kind of like does its thing. Just thinks. That's what we do. And we have a stream of thought going all the time. And we don't necessarily direct it. Like, you know, if you're doing a Netflix binge, you're not directing your thinking. Okay, 
you, you've handed that over. So, you know, just choose your bench wisely, would be my encouragement. This brain of ours is busy, and it's, and it's always going, and it will go even if we're not consciously directing it. So sometimes we drift. We drift into negativity. We drift into anxiety. Drift into kind of a tunnel vision. Um, a lot of the people that I work with who are depressed have tunnel vision for the negative. You ever see these uh, murals on the side of a building that, that are 20, 30 feet long, 15 feet high? They're huge. And maybe it's a mountain scene or a cityscape or something. When we have depression, it's kind of like we've taken a toilet paper tube and we put it up to our eyeball and we're standing about three feet away from a mural like that. And our field of vision just gets shrunk down to nothing but the negative. When we are being intentional about our thinking, we can catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, what, what is true? Yeah, my problem might be true, but it's not the only thing that's true. God is faithful. God is real. God is present. God is concerned. God is purposeful. All of those things are true as well. So I got to back away from the mural a little bit and not just see the, the little two inches that I can see through my toilet paper tube. I need to remember this whole big context of what else I know is also true about God and about me and about my life and my future how he feels about me and what his plans are for me. Being intentional about our thinking is really important, and I think if we're going to follow the advice of, of Philippians 4.8, we have to kind of decide to do that. It's like the psalmist talking to his soul. Wait for God only, O my soul. So speak to yourself, and then listen to yourself. But speak the good things. Now, I have a, a brief disclaimer. Uh, this, all of what we're talking about this morning from Philippians 4.8 and focusing our thinking on the positive things, the good things, the true things, is not a magic formula. Uh, I would never go to somebody who was in a crisis or who was newly bereaved and say, oh, I've got the answer. Well, we'll just have you plug in this formula from Philippians 4, and you're going to feel fine. Uh, I wouldn't say that to anybody. Jesus wouldn't either, and he didn't when he was on earth. Because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you're acquainted with grief, you don't say stuff like that to people who are grieving. This is not a formula. It's not a panacea. But the Bible affirms that God is with us in the middle of whatever we go through. That's a valuable thing to hang on to. But we don't want to trivialize it. He, ste he steps in with us. He's that paracletos who comes alongside of us. He is with us in the middle of our lives. Another general observation I want to make about this is this list of how we should think. Is that It's a list of how we should think think. It's not a list of how we shouldn't think. And in, in reading commentators and listening to sermons on this, on this passage, it was interesting how much of the time the sermon drifted into the direction of the negative. Don't think about things that are dishonorable. Don't think about things that are impure. Don't think about things that aren't true. And 
while that's kind of implied that if we're thinking about the, the, the pure things, we're not thinking about the impure things, it's not how Paul approaches the topic. It's a list of do's. It's not a list of don'ts. So the goal here is not just to like purge your, your entertainment uh, you know, library or to make sure you don't look at porn or you know, some other thing. It's, this isn't just about avoiding the negative. He's saying, set your mind on these things. Fix your mind on these things. Meditate on these things. The good things. If you're doing that, you're probably not going to be doing some of the other stuff. And it's actually way more effective. It's kind of that whole idea of don't try to drive the darkness out, just turn the light on. This is all about that. Turn the light on. Leave the light on. See the truth. Focus on the good things. Now, in verse 9, Paul takes us a step further, and he's talking about behavior. And as you can already see, we don't have time to really go into verse 9. I'm just going to note a couple of quick things, and then we're going to go to communion, and then we're going to wrap things up this morning. Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It might sound a little arrogant to some like, hey, imitate me because I've got this. I've got this down. If you look back in in chapter three of Philippians, he he says that pretty much the same thing there too. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, and you know, follow the example of people who live like like I do and like we do. Now, if you back up a little further in chapter three, you hear Paul saying, "Look, I haven't arrived. I have not attained everything that Christ has laid hold of me." But this one thing I do, I keep pressing on. So it's really not an arrogant statement. It's more like if you're on a hike, and it's a hike you've done before, and you know where that trail goes, and you run into somebody who's lost, and they say, hey, you know where the blah, blah, blah is? And and you know because you're headed there. It's not arrogant to say, follow me. I know where I'm going. It's just a matter of fact. Paul knew where he was going. He was following the risen Christ. He was on track. And he was just saying, hey, follow me because this is the path. Paul wants them to do these things. He says if you do these things, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. So if you look at Philippians 4, we've moved from peace between people in the body of Christ to peace within the individual believer experiencing the peace of God, and now having the God of peace be with us. So there's a great theme here, and so much to remind us of what to do when we find ourselves in various kinds of trouble, various kinds of situations where we might be tempted to be anxious or lose our sense of that peace of God. Now really what Paul is saying is imitate Christ, because I'm imitating Christ, so if you imitate me, then by transitive property, you're imitating him. And that's a subject of not just another sermon. The imitation of Christ is a subject of a lifetime of sermons. And so we're not going to go down that road this morning. Don't be anxious. Pray about everything. Be thankful. Fix your mind on the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and important. Practice the things that 
saw in the life of Paul as he imitated Jesus and enjoy the peace of God. We're going to have communion this morning. Y'all have, I have not used these things yet. You all get your little kit thing. I have to go get mine because I left it in my jacket pocket. You know what I really wish we'd do? We'd be able to do sometime. I really wish we could like do the Lord's Supper with some great big loaves of sourdough and and a bunch of glasses and and some really high quality fruit juice. I just think that'd be fun to rip off some big hunks because you get this picture. This is a picture. This is why we do this. We are remembering the death of our Lord Jesus. For our behalf, remembering his sacrifice. So part of he, part of what he says when he's getting the bread out is, you know, this is my body, is broken for you. Just imagine like ripping a hunk or breaking the matzah. You know, it's it's this great visual of what what happened to him. That he was broken for our sins, for the pe- the penalty for our sins. We kind of lose that a little bit when you're doing this thing, because you know the I don't I don't even have, don't have the cracker yet, but it can't be very big. Oh, okay, there we go. It actually reminds me of growing up in the Catholic Church. It looks like the Eucharist that we used to used to get. The symbol. Is just that a symbol? So when we're thinking about these things, we don't want to get distracted by these things, even though I'm a little distracted by it this morning. I'm going to think about the body of Christ, the fact that his body was broken for us. Join with me in prayer for a moment. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came for us. We're so thankful that you came to reconcile us to you and to the Father. So thankful you gave your body to be sacrificed for our sins. Lord, we're thankful that you're broken for our benefit. It saddens us to think about what you had to go through, but we are so grateful for what you did. And you told us to do this as a way of remembering your death until you come again. So, Lord, pray that this morning this would be a meaningful moment for us as we come together in unity around our acknowledgement of our salvation that you purchased for us by your sacrifice. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord that I also, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we are thankful for your shed blood. We are thankful that you went through the agony of anticipating your death, anticipating all that took place on the cross. And you pressed through that, and you did the will of the Father. We're so thankful that you shed your blood for us, and we're so thankful brought us into your family. Lord, we celebrate that now. We remember that now and we honor you. Pray this in your name. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It almost imagine, imagine that all that, that wrinkly cellophane is like applause. It almost sounds like applause. And that's a more appropriate kind of noise after something like this. I'm just that thankful. God is good. This is uh, the first Sunday of the month, and we take an offering for the Sunshine Fund that uh, the deacons distribute to people in our community and in our church who are in need. So if you want to donate to the Sunshine Fund, you can leave it in one of the boxes by the doors and just designate it uh, for the fund. So, thank you very much, and go in peace today.